Thank you for joining us today. My name is Mike Lamb. I'm an elder here at the Trails, and it's my privilege to lead us through the next part of our study of the Psalms today. Now, I'm following Pastor Bridges and Pastor Boswell and Pastor Gabe, um, which is a daunting task, but we're supposed to let the Holy Spirit do the talking anyway, so I'm going to rely on that. We are going to be in Psalm 29, so if you will, open to Psalm 29, and, and let's, let's read together. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Sarian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. Now, in, read, in uh, reading this passage and preparing this week, I thought about the languages that God speaks to us. I know that there's, there's Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek that have all become a part of our body of uh, Scripture. But I'm uh, also thinking of different languages, and I'm not talking about spoken languages. So where and how does God reveal himself? Well, he reveals himself in the Bible, like we just said, and he reveals himself through his spirit, of course. But he also reveals himself through the earth itself. Today, David is telling us how God spoke to him without saying a word. Our daughter, Georgia, has taken several years of sign language. And I have learned clearly you can say a lot without saying a word. And you can be very animated. There's, there's times when she's either talked to us or recorded stuff for class, and you could almost hear the words coming out of her mouth because she can get after it. She's leaning in, and if it's funny or it's, it's uh, serious or it's, it's really emphasized, you can see it when she talked, and I have no idea where she got that. But um, according to my wife, um, we can see God in, in whispering meadows and babbling brooks and in the the birds tweeting in the forest. I don't know if you have those sound things, you know, like sometimes when you're just trying to drown out sound, sometimes it's a jet, and there's this one where it's the forest, and it's just, you know, birds tweeting and wind rustling through the leaves. So we know that God can, can speak in the whispering meadow. But the question today is, and what David's asking us, is do we see God in a Texas tornado? Do we see God in a week of five-degree days, which I just did not think the Lord ever had intended for Texas, but it just did not stop if you were here? Does God speak in those times? Well, in this psalm, as we heard, God, David is reminding us that God is in and around and through everything, and he can speak to us with tornadoes on the way in five-degree days. He tells us that God is in charge and we have nothing to fear. If, if we would just stop and listen 
to what he's telling us. So in verses 1 and 2, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Everything glorifies God. That's what David is starting off. He's, the majority of this psalm is going to be about God speaking through the world around us. But he's going to lay the groundwork and start with everything glorifies God. Now, Psalm 29 as a whole, like I said, is really the description of a storm. So David is out in the hills as this storm is coming. And he starts, though, in these verses 1 and 2. So the storm is coming, but he starts his praise by telling us we should recognize God's glory in everything, in our actions, in our words, in our mind, and in what's around us. Ascribe to the Lord. Attribute something to. Regard as a quality belonging to is where he starts. He's focused on God's glory in chapter 29. Now, ascribing glory to God is really just recognizing and proclaiming what he already is and what he already has. We're we're assenting to that. And David is saying it out loud. He's setting the table for his story to come. The key there is God deserves that. That's where we are. That's what David's trying to say, starting off, ascribe to the Lord. Y'all, he's owed that is where he starts. It belongs to him. It's his divine right. Now, when you look at yourself, and I looked at myself, when you see the clouds gathering and you know a storm is coming in your life, do you think about the glory of God? I had to admit this was pretty convicting. And as a whole, no. When the storm's coming, when I see the good coming, when I, when I participate in that, of course I'm able to say, glory to God. But the storm is coming. Can I say that? David did. I think of escape most of the time rather than the glory of God. But verse 2 says that we are able to ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name even when a storm's on its way. Why is David, though, purposefully telling us that, telling us to declare God is glorious? When, when you enter into it, now, all the attorneys in the room do not come after me because it really kind of sounds good, so don't make, if it's wrong, don't, don't, don't tell me. But when you enter into a legal transaction, you must declare your intention to participate in this, declare your intention to cooperate with the terms of it. I will buy this car. I will rent this apartment. Do you take Desiree to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to love and cherish her? I'm, I'm, I'm required and called to declare. Without this orderly declaration of intent, you really can't complete the, the legal transaction. Declare your intent. These verses, one and two, God is declaring his intent to worship God for his glory. So what are some, what are some things, what are some ways that we can be more aware Of God's glory in our life. Well, there's there's a lot. But in the context of this psalm, the most important way to become aware of God's glory really is is to look for it. David is seeing an event and he's looking for God's glory in that. He's aware of it. He wants to participate in it. He wants to acknowledge it Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Nowhere. That's where David is. Standing back and recognizing the power of God in nature. 
is one thing. But the question we've got to ask is, so what? What difference does that make in your life? I love this. Paul Tripp, a pastor, had said, we cannot overestimate the importance of functional awe of God in our lives and in our church and in our world. Functional awe. What difference does it make? We must be aware that we're in the presence of God every minute of every day, and it should make a difference. Functional. It has a role. Calvin wrote, God daily discloses himself in the whole workmanship of the universe. Ordering of the universe is for us a sort of mirror in which we can contemplate God. So what are some ways to get practical? What are some ways that we can give glory to God? I wrote down, I wrote down some and trying to be practical as much as I can because I wanted to be specific so that I remembered them and that I was convicted to follow them. So what are some ways we can give glory to God? To say out loud all day long. Say it out loud. Make the declaration of intent that God is who he says he is. To live life being fully persuaded that God is there. No doubt. Fully persuaded. Don't just say, I'll rely on God when in the daily grind. Go all in. Mike, don't hold back. There's a Greek word used in the New Testament, 17 times in the New Testament. Hupomeno. And it's used, again, in 17 times, but it's all in this similar vein. Endure, persevere, remain, abide, bear bravely. When I was growing up in our youth group, you know, the, the things you remember about being a part of a student group in, in church a lot of times is not just the student minister, but, but those people that participate in it, that really come alongside the students, that, that go the extra mile and really kind of become li- part of the lives of the, pe- of the kids that, they're, that they nurture and that they lead. And there was a man named Ed Maroc. And he was that guy for us. He was the guy that somehow, I think it was our ninth grade summer trip, and uh, he drew our group of guys, this core group of my friends, five or six guys. And, um, and so we thought, nah, he's an old guy. We got this, right? He's a former Marine. Now, he smiled walking up and down the halls, and we thought we had it. But then all of a sudden, it was clear when we kept not wanting to go to bed that he was a former Marine. And now, he smiled when he loved us, but... Literally, I mean, when we came, you know, you go on a senior trip, or let's say it was our sophomore year. So you go on a sophomore year to Florida, and you got five or six guys in the room, you know, you're the cool ones, man. You know, we had a starting youth group and all that stuff. He came in and kicked us out of bed. I mean, kicked us out of bed. I was on a folding cap, couch, and he almost <laughs> rolled me up in it. So this is the guy who you're thinking, oh, my goodness. But when we were finished with that week, he said, I want you guys to come to my house on Tuesday. We're going to have a Bible study on Tuesday. And we were like, eh, but then we realized he had a big screen TV. Now, back then, I mean, you know, it was a big screen TV. It was about this deep, you know, and it was huge. But he let us play video games on it, so we knew we were going to go there. For, it had a pool. So we were, we were all in. We're going to Mr. Morocco's on Tuesday for Bible study. We show up, and we say, hey, what's, what, what are we studying? What book are we studying? And he hands us each a book of a K. Arthur precept study on Philippians. We were 10th graders going through K. Arthur I mean, there was more paperwork in that book than we had in most of our classes in high school. But he led us through that. And I'll never forget, there was, in, in Scripture, when we came upon hupomeno, endure, persevere, remain, abide, bear bravely, 
Ed Maroc from Georgia rolled all that together and he said, fellas, it's just about keep on keeping on. That's how he brought this home for us. Keep on keeping on. So don't just say I rely on God in the daily grind. Go all in. Don't hold back. Keep on keeping on. Another way we can give God glory is, is worship him as God. Paul in Romans, worship him as God, not just worship him. This is God, creator of the universe, sovereign king. Live a life of gratitude, Psalm 50 tells us. Not just live, not just thank. I mean, gratitude is more of an ongoing emotion. Live a life in gratitude for God. In your prayers, praise God for his attributes. And when we're here, which this is a prime example. This is not any kind of uh, call out for our congregation because I'm not sure I've been a part of a congregation that's like this. But when, when we are here, come to worship. Don't come to church. Come to, come to worship God. How can, I, how can I give glory to God? Come to worship him. Don't come to church. God is glorious. This is a fact. His glory is always there. But we're not we're not always aware of it. That's what we've got to look out for. So in order to properly give God glory, we've got to come before him regularly and what? Ascribe, assent. I'm all in. It's not just be there. I'm all in. Declaration of intent. Ascribe. So do we, do you spontaneously worship? Do we spontaneously worship? Not just thank God when he answers a prayer. So I'll thank God, which I can feel the Holy Spirit pricking my heart. Thank him for this. But do I stop and spontaneously worship a sovereign God then? This is all about glory of God. We should, we, we've got to reflect a life of ascribing. Turn it into a, a forward-looking verb. We, we live a life ascribing glory to God. That's what we're called to. In verses 3 through 9, this is the heart of, this, of these 11 verses. Um, now, when I first began preparing to teach this message, I, I got to this section, and right when it starts, I, I couldn't help my mind from racing to Garth Brooks. You know, the thunder rolls, you know, thunder rolls, lightning strikes, you know, I'm thinking. Because, you know, I thought I could mention it because a couple of weeks ago, somehow Boswell squeezed in uh, I Walked the Line by Johnny Cash. So I kind of thought I had, you know, an opening to uh, bring that in. But if you read the rest of the lyrics, you go, that's, that's probably not a good idea. So let's just stick with the first line of, of Garth's The Thunder Rolls and the Lightning Strikes. So this storm describes, a, I mean, this, this passage describes a storm arising over the Mediterranean Sea to the north. And then it rolls down the entire country of Israel, and, and then it rolls out into the, to the desert uh, to the south. So imagine that, that, that David, that's what he's seeing. Storm from the north rolling the whole length out into the desert. Now, and the way he describes it, you know, he's kind of playing Pete Delcos here. So just think of that. He, you know, Pete breaks in, we got a storm here, and it's rolling all the way to the south. That's what David is staring at. Now, this is, um, this is definitely when you read it, because he didn't come out and just say the statement. This is definitely a case of where David wants to do more than just explain a truth specifically. He's going to explain this truth through this story, through this reporting of this storm. He, 
Why would he do that? He wants us to feel it. You know, when you, when you, when you go through this, you get this sense of just... He wants us to feel the glory of the Lord. So the truth is that he brings to mind is that, okay, just want to lay the groundwork here. God is enthroned over all of this. He has the power to do whatever he pleases. Let me set the groundwork. That's what he's doing here at the start of verses 3 through 9. So I want to, I want to pick up on something that's a repetitive. In, in verse 3, we see the first of them. But seven times in this passage, David mentions the voice of the Lord. And each time he uses it, he's using it to describe the world around us. It's what he starts with, voice of the Lord. He's seeing God exert his authority. The voice of the Lord, fill in the blank. The voice of the Lord, it's over all of it. That's what he's teeing up for us here. Weather, sea, vegetation, elements, animals, the voice of the Lord is over all of that. Now, multiple times in Scripture, this is nothing new because God has used his voice to uh, interact with, with nature, with his creation. Genesis 1 is obviously the, the first and the most primary. God spoke and creation, the voice of the Lord. When God speaks his voice, it's, it's regularly described as thunder. In John 12, 29, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, so don't just roll it back into here, David, and Psalms. But in John 12, 29, when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to them. In Job 37, God thunders wondrously with his voice. Psalm 18, 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. Now, thunder's a pretty awe-inspiring event. Now, when I say that, thunder that's off in the distance, you go, that's cool. But when one rolls right over your house, you know, and does that a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different. Now, my son was, was at home one time, and uh, lightning struck this metal cupola thing that's on the outside fence of our subdivision, which we kind of bump up to that. I mean, there's still a hole in a brick where it kind of rolled to the ground and did that. That thunder, I wasn't there, but, but he described that one, that one rattled some stuff. So when you, when you hear that, when you're in the presence of that, um, there's no doubt you're starting to think, okay, God's got this, and, and you get that sense of, of God, um, God's glory. Now, not everybody sees a storm. Man, it's just thunder. Uh, sees it like that. But David sees God in creation, and he's, and he's describing God's authority. God only needs to think it or say it, and all creation has no choice but to obey Bam. So what does that mean to us? If I can bring that back to us. What, what, so what when we're talking about this kind of visual? Well, one, you can look at it and say it means he's not distant because we're in the middle of it. It's all around us. It's right in our face. That's one thing about nature. When we look around and we see God in it, it's, it's palpable. It's right there. It means he's not distant. He's in the world that he made. And he's close to us. He's, he's intimately involved in everything from storms that we're talking about to a palm tree falling on an uninhabited island in the Pacific. He's in and through and around all of it. It means, it means too, that he's in the details. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But if, if you look at, from the standpoint of nature, uh, geese that are just born just naturally follow whatever the first thing they, they see. 
and, and no one teaches them how to do that. And if you've watched uh, some, some nature programs, you know, when sea turtles are born, they just head straight for the sea. Nobody needs to tell them to head that way. God's in the details. Now, and we could say, if you look at it that way, that, that the voice of the Lord is calling them that way. So David looked at nature and saw God in everything, everything that he was watching in this show. So what's an application? So what does it mean for us? What do we do with that today? Um, one, stop and kind of think, well, what do, you, what do you do? What do you think when you see the nature and the world around us? Do you, do you see chance? Do you see chaos? There's evil, there's sadness, there's war, but we gotta look deeper. The evidence of God's purpose and design is all around us. We've gotta see that through everything that's around us. Now, still in verse three, David um, is praising God's power over water. So water is one of the most powerful forces on the world, in the world. So now if you go and you catch uh, evening tide on Hilton Head, you know, I mean, it's that, okay? But I was flipping through um, and caught a Netflix documentary. I don't know if you might have seen this, but it was about the 100-foot wave. Has anybody seen that? Oh, my gosh. The 100, he's talking about a 100-foot wave. This is where it starts. So it kind of reminds you when you're watching that, that, that God has power over the waters. This, this is a wave you know, there's big wave surfers, and you wonder, you know, surfing's one thing, but then there's some guys that, man, it's only a 10-footer. I mean, these guys travel the world to catch 35 and 40-foot waves, and there was, it's the most brilliant tourist move ever, and I don't think he intended to do it, but there was this guy in a town in Portugal. You know, Portugal faces the Atlantic there, and, the, and it's right where a deep uh, underwater canyon is, and so it, it generates a lot of, of momentum and deep, you know, big, deep swells when it comes in. And so if you look at this, they are almost 100-foot waves. I mean, when you look at it, there's pictures of back up a hill and somebody's at the observation post, and you look out. I mean, these waves are taller than buildings. I mean, big white caps, and they're over, and they fall. and all. So this one guy, you know, he wasn't, but he seemed like he should have been on the tourist board because he pretty much just threw that out on the Internet, and he started pinging all these big wave surfers. You know, thought you might want to look at this. And, of course, these big league guys, you know, were just like, oh, yeah, you know. So this one guy picks up his board, rolls over there, gets off the plane, runs straight to that point I was talking about, and looks at these waves that are rolling in. And he right away goes, I can ride that. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can figure out a way to ride that. He assembles this team. He coaches up locals how to drive jet skis to drag them out there. He's practicing. He does this for nine months, getting ready, practicing, looking at it. He had to go home eventually, but then other people came, and there's this whole just speak of it softly, the 100-foot wave in Portugal. Um, so big waves. We're talking about when you look at them, even on TV when you look at them, you're like, oh, man, that's just not, there's no way that's by chance. His name must be revered. The CE Bible says it this way the, of this passage where we're in. The voice of the Lord echoes over the oceans. The glorious Lord God thunders above the raging sea. So what's the application of that besides sitting back and standing in wonder of a big wave? Well, if you look at it, th those kind of forces, when you stare them in the face, they're kind of overwhelming. And, and we all know that we face these sometimes seemingly overwhelming forces in our life. And we... 
pun. We run into wave after wave of difficulty in our life. We get up sometimes and you feel more tired than you went to bed and you're not ready to face this onslaught that's coming. And it's at those times we've got to remember God is enthroned over all of this. If we have to, repeat it out loud. In verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful and majestic. What's the, what's the most rhetorical, because I'm sure everybody's got their own personal remembrance of this, but what's the most majestic thing you've seen in nature? And when, and when you saw it, what did you want to do? When you see a great mountain range or a beautiful starry sky or here in Texas, a field, huge field, filled with blue bonnets. I mean, if you see that, you kind of got to really slow down or stop. I mean, there's just there's something about where I've got to drink this in a little bit more than just wheeling by it. Divers are drawn to the Antarctic to go up underneath the ice shelf just because it's a world that not many see, and it's totally different, and it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, the spelunkers, the cave explorers, they go down into caves, and they see a whole different world, and they're drawn to that. When you see that, what do you want to do? God's, God's voice is what this passage is. God's voice ought to be like that. When we hear um, his voice like that, pursue it. It's, oh my gosh, I've got to dig in a little deeper in that. That's, why he's, that's what David's seeing is that he's just overwhelmed by God talking to him here. So when we hear it, we should, we, we should drop things and give it our full attention. When we have those moments, when we see those things, we have the words of the, of the Bible, and we've heard those words. And here, we've heard those words sung aloud. But whether spoken or sung or seen in the world around us, it's not just honoring God, it's, it's God demanding our respect. That's what we, that's what, as, as God, this glory of the Lord, the voice of the Lord is, give me my, my due. Is what we're talking about here. Look in verse uh, 5 when, he's, when uh, David starts talking about cedars. Now, in their, in their natural habitat, you remember this storm is kind of running north out to south, and so he's looking north. In their natural habitat, the cedars in Lebanon can grow like 80 to 100 feet tall, and they can be like 150 to 300 years old. Now, the, the cedars, because of that length of time, generations passing under the same tree, is that cedars uh, were, a, were an important uh, symbol in the ancient world of strength and, and, and longevity. And that's, that's what David is seeing. Now, bring it, to, bring it home because we have the, the privilege here in our country. Think of redwoods out on the Pacific coast. Some reach 350 feet tall. Some are 25 feet in diameter and have root systems that go out 100 feet, 30-something yards away from the tree, a root system. And some of them have been estimated to be like 2,000 years old. Now, I haven't been there, and I know some of you probably have, but, but I can really, if you look at pictures and you see one felled and you see somebody standing in front, you know, one of the lumberjacks kind of standing in front, and you're looking at how much taller, you know, so a, a five or six foot man, five men standing on each other would barely get to the top of this tree that's fallen over. I mean, just massive, overwhelming. So before heavy equipment, before power saws and everything else, uh, teams, uh, they would group them in teams, a team of three to four lumberjacks would take two to three weeks to fell this tree. 
two to three weeks working on the same tree, bit by bit by bit by bit. And these guys were in nature, and they were, they were staring it in the face. And they, were, they continued, and they proceeded. But you know when they're looking at it, they go, well, here's where we're going to be for three weeks, working on this piece of nature. I'm overwhelming. But what is this passage telling us? To God, they're nothing. Snap them like a twig. David's standing back, the voice of the Lord, looking at it, snap it like a twig. And it takes an amazing amount of force to do that, obviously. So can you imagine being there? Pause and imagine being there with David, and he's seeing this storm roll through, and he's seeing that kind of power. The comedian, I got to, well, yeah, my wife's not in this service, and I didn't look at her when I said it in the first service. Because, I, I, well, the, I don't know if you know, the, the comedian Ron White, um, he joked about a hurricane uh, rolling through the Florida Keys. And everybody leaves town except this 60-year-old guy who's going to stay, and he's going to tie himself to a tree uh, to prove a point. Now, the point was that he was saying, I'm in good enough shape that I can withstand the wind and the rain from a Force 3 hurricane. That's what he was going to prove. Now, Ron said, let me explain something to you. It isn't that the wind is blowing. It's what the wind is blowing. If you get hit with a Volvo, it does not matter what kind of shape you're in. <laughs> now, if Lamb can work in redneck comedy tour into a sermon, then whoever preaches next has carte blanche, I guarantee you. Um, but imagine this lightning bolt uh, striking a, song, a, a strong cedar tree and shattering it. David saw this, and he can put an exclamation point on it. The voice of the Lord is like this, but even more powerful. That's what he's telling us. Look at, look at verse 6 when he starts talking about mountains. What David is saying, that even the land itself jumps at the voice of the Lord. Sarayan is the, is the Phoenician name for Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was like 9,200 plus feet tall, and it was at the, the north end of Israel, and where the tribe of Manasseh actually had its peace. And so at, the, at its base... Uh, Mount Hermon is like 13 miles wide. So 9,200 feet tall, 13 miles wide at its base. And, and, and David's image in this verse kind of reminds us of the, the power that's released in an earthquake. Now, I did not know this, and this was another of my son who has a master's in geology. He was sitting over here. I did not look over at him either, so I didn't, I didn't check this. I should have done, make sure I checked it. I'm I found a journal, so I'm pretty sure since it's published that, that it's okay. I still didn't look at my, my son. Um, but ge uh, geophysicists have said that that, that massive, hurricane, uh, massive earthquake that hit Japan back in 2011 actually shortened the length of an earth day by a fraction. Enough mass in that earthquake as the plates went over each other was, sh was shifted to cause the earth to rotate a little bit faster, which shortened our day by 1.8 microseconds. That, that's a lot of rock. And God did it in this God's earth that we're viewing. So God reminds us that this is the power that he's witnessing, that God has shook, Sarayan shook. Now, it's not... It, it, 
it's, it's hard to imagine, according to this scripture, it's hard to ima- imagine uh, Mount Heron skipping like a calf. But if God wants it to skip, it's going to skip. That's what David's telling us. Look in verses 7 and 8. David, at this point, in these verses, illustrates the voice of the Lord as, a, uh, as fire, lightning. We're in, a store. We're in a storm. Now, throughout Scripture, God is revealed through fire. So this is, this is nothing new. David stands in wonder of it. But in Luke 3, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. The bush was burning but not consumed in Exodus. And divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of them in Acts. And as soon as Solomon finished praying, fire came from the heaven and consumed the offering. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. The storm was moving quickly as David was watching it. And and it moved out to the most southern part of Israel, out into the wilderness of Kadesh. But just like the voice shaking the northern mountains up in Lebanon, now it's shaking the desert in the south of Israel. So what's what's the net here in these verses, in these particular verses? God is shaking the world that David's a part of it. His country, his nation, his people, God's in control, and he is shaking them. Sovereign God. That's what David is standing in a maze of. So David uses a lot of exclamation points in this passage. Do we react the same way when we see God's hand in the world around us? That's that's what David's calling out. That's what we need to evaluate in our own lives. Do we look at it as God's hand? God's shaking. Let's look in verse 9. Now, this we're at the end of the storm. And when, uh, when the verse says that it's, when the verse here says that it's making the, uh, the deer give birth, it's, it's referring uh, to the deer giving birth prematurely because of being frightened by the storm. Um, shepherds, and when it comes to sheep, and this is a, this is a thing, shepherds uh, gather their flock together. They keep them together, and they, they put their heads in the same direction they don't let them wander around and look around. They, they get them tight and they get them looking one way um, because if you leave them alone, they wander around and they get separated. And through the terror of this storm, they'll, they'll have their babies. So it's, this is what David's talking about, that this, this drama, this sound, this loud bang can even lead to premature birth. Now, it's not, I know that's not the most beautiful imagery that reveals God's, God's power and uh, the power of his voice, but... But they really hear it, for sure. Um, this, this storm also has so much power that it rips the bark off of trees. So in the, in the face of all that, when we're looking at it, what, what can we do? What can we say? Well, David shares part of that answer in the last part of verse 9. And I'm, I don't think I would... It's, I, really, I really felt convicted that that's not the first thing that I would think of. But in the, in the face of all of this, what does David say? David says to gather together in our place of worship and shout glory with the very angels that he mentions up in verse 1. When we see this, are we, af- are we afraid or are we just numb to it? Or do we shout glory? That's what David's seeing from up above. He sees in it glory. That's the first thing he thinks of. Everything points to God's glory. 
Warren Wiersbe, in this whole passage, then from verses three through nine, says, so what has verses three through nine told us? God's voice can break and shake and make. That's what David's telling us in three through nine. The last couple of verses untitled, Trust Him. Mr. Beaver, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, Mr. Beaver. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This psalm is telling us that God is both present in the storm and after the storm. He is what Isaiah said in 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. But he's also the God in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 10 is, is a great summary to this chapter. God is on his throne. He is sovereign. He's in everything, and he controls everything. Amen. So what do we do with that? Well, when we're facing the floods... We've got to look up and not down. You remember Peter? When Peter stepped out of the boat, he's looking at Christ. He's walking. When he looks down, he's done. So difficulties and financial needs and health issues and relationship issues, David's telling us you got to look up. Don't look down. You'll see him. He's around you. In verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. When we live, live like he's on the throne, he'll give us the strength that we need. We'll be able to face tribulation, distress, danger. We'll be more than conquerors, Romans 8 tells us. So, so what do we do with this psalm, Psalm 29? It, it's been seen in the past as a call to worship meant to lead God's people into the sanctuary. This song, with twisted-off cedars and shaking mountains, has been used as a call to worship because it, it, it describes a powerful and dramatic and impressive God. This, the sovereign God over all of this is calling us to worship. This means something. And, and, you know, Scripture calls us the called out. So the church consists of people that have been called out. Now, we've seen this God where we're called out to worship this God in, in Psalm 29, but we're also called out to God in, into Christ's salvation for us. In this Psalm, he calls us out through his creation, but, but we're here because part of that creation is, is our experience with Christ. So there's a tie here because it's the tie to the New Testament because it's the same God from, from old to new. Now, this is, this is really interesting. Um, it's obvious, when, I guess, when you, when you step back and think about it. But according to some recent studies, you know, those, those awe-inspiring 
National Geographic, you know, with David Attenborough doing the, doing the voiceover. Um, those things are laying traps for un- unbelievers. Because research, research has found that simply watching these uh, nature documentaries can make people feel less inclined to believe that science can explain everything. When you, when you see them, they, yeah, I'm not sh- really? You know, even people that don't believe kind of step back and go, well, I mean, there's, that's too cool. There's too much order to that. Something's got to be behind that. They make them open to the idea that the world is guided by some order. So here we are. David's watching God roll down from the north to the south. That same God, when you really kind of spend some time in nature, when you see it up close, the experiencing uh, this awe makes, makes you feel like, well, there's, there's a person at work here. That's what the research said. The author uh, of another study looking at the same thing found that awe triggers belief in the, quote, presence and power of a supernatural being. It generally increases this desire to explain what's in front of you and to explain it in terms of who is making this happen face-to-face with the nature that, God, that David has brought to our attention today. Who is making this happen? The Bible itself helps us understand uh, the, the awe that we experience, this awe that, that uh, the study was talking about. Isaiah 6.3 says that, that heaven and earth are really filled with God's glory. In Romans, Paul says that God's invisible power and divine nature can be, quote, clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So, all like this reminds us of our place in this world, our place in God's world, the sovereign God. It, it really reminds us we're small, and that's, what, that's where we need to be. We need to recognize that. We need to stand in awe. We need to realize there's got to be somebody bigger in charge of this. And creation is a, is a good gift, and that's what David, lots of exclamation points. That's what David is seeing in this. Look at what God's given us. Look at the power that's part of this world that he's placed us in. Now, if you tie it to the New Testament, it's even greater when we step back and we realize that God loved us so much, that powerful God sent his son because he not only wanted to show who's sovereign God, he wanted to redeem us to himself. He wanted us to fully be his, to be part of his family forever. So even better than seeing God in the heavens, the starry nights, and the rolling storm of the hundred-foot waves would be seeing those wonders as part of a world that's been redeemed by Christ. It's all of this, all that we're talking about, all this stand and wonder with a lot of nodding heads are like, man, that was impressive. All of that is the world for which Christ died. And this creation that as wonderful as it is, is still part of a fallen world. And all of this creation, this wonderful, wondrous, mighty creation is going to be set free when Christ returns. So we see that heaven and earth are, is full of God's glory. And, and when we meet Christ, when we come to know him, when the Holy Spirit infills us, this same glory meets us face to face. Do you know him? in that way. I've always loved this one sermon by S.M. Lockridge, and it's 
and it's long. And I probably say it too much or emphasize it too much at home. So I, my wife was sitting over in the first one. I didn't look at her because I didn't really go through this, the whole last part of this. And it's, it's very long. It was long. Um, but I thought about it because there's one part that really points to what we're talking about today. As I read um, David narrate this, this storm, tell us about it with, with God written all over it, that's, that's when it came to mind. That's when I thought of Dr. Lockridge. So I'll finish with that. So what David is doing is David says, Dr. Lockridge, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time you've given us to gather together, to worship you, to fellowship. Lord, I pray that you help us to see this as worship and not attending church. That when we leave this place and a warm sun falls on us or a cloudy sky shades us or a hot wind blows, that we see you in all of it. That we speak of it with exclamation points like David. That we recognize it's the voice of the Lord that you're calling out to us that you want to draw us to yourself. Lord, that we should stand in awe of you. And as we stand in awe and just and cannot help but recognize that you are the God and creator of this universe, to then step back and to realize you loved us so much and you wanted the chance to fellowship with us, come alongside that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, that you wanted to redeem us to yourself, that you wanted us to, to come as close as we can and wonder at your creation side by side, face to face. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word that reveals truth. I thank you for the men and the women of the Bible that reflect your your glory, that reveal themselves to be servants standing in awe of a mighty God that set that example for us. Lord, I pray that you help us to slow down as we read your word, that we look for your glory in every bit of it. Father, I thank you most for the gift of your son, and I pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen.